is Dina Saunders-Green, and you're listening to Formally Fostered, brought to you by Green Pines Media. This is a podcast about foster care and children's mental health services, and sometimes the juvenile justice system, mainly because there's a lot of intersection between the three. We give emancipated youth and their allies a place to share their truth. Welcome to episode nine of Formally Fostered. In this episode, we'll be hearing the final installment of a three-part interview conducted with a woman who is an advocate for families who've been involved with the child welfare system, as well as uh, children's mental health. One of the reasons she's an advocate is because she has personal experience. About 10 years ago, her daughter was detained uh, by CPS after struggling with mental illness, and she basically advocates for families and tries to help them avoid going through some of the things that she's gone through. Please be advised that this episode does contain some strong language and some graphic descriptions of child abuse, so it may not be appropriate for young children or people with sensitive ears. So here we go. We would be shipping um, care boxes up in there. Like sometimes you enter into a new facility for some reason, they don't send all your clothes or give you all your stuff. You got to wait for it to show up. But in the meantime, you might just go in there with the clothes that you have on and they have to piece together something for you. So you got stuff too big, stuff too small. You got boy stuff. You got some used stuff, you know, and it's just, and that makes you feel a certain way. She started not caring about herself because they didn't, they weren't caring about her. It's a built-in prison system. That's exactly what uh, I'm going to tell you about uh, the foster care system, whether it's a shelter, whether it's a facility, whether it's a foster home, because she was in all of them. I think it's 28 different shelters and facilities in Oklahoma, and she went around it twice. She moved an awful lot for whatever the reason. She was fighting staff. The foster home, you know, had certain rules. They wanted one of them wanted to adopt her. And I was okay with it. And then uh, another foster kid of the opposite sex came up in there. And I don't know what happened with that one and mine or that one and some other one. But then people were removed and that adoption didn't go down. So we frequently hear about foster youth experiencing multiple placements and moving a lot. That might be based on behavior or just not enough good foster homes out there. I'm going to be honest, I know the foster care system, but I only have a vague understanding of the children's mental health system. Our clients automatically qualify for mental health services, but I haven't worked with very many who've actually had to be hospitalized. So when she talks about multiple placements, I really didn't have a good understanding of that. So we talked a little bit about that. Okay, you came in at this high level, but now since you've worked yourself down through these levels, you don't fit the requirements of being at this facility anymore. So now we got to move you on over to this one. Age, you know, from this age to this age, it could be here. Now you that age, you got to go over here. So it was so many factors, you know, from her to the rules to the way that setup was. So she went around twice. It's systematic. Now you move it from the foster system, the mental system, to the criminal system. So she's talking about the overlap of these three systems 10 years ago. And if you know anything about the system, you know that the problem hasn't gotten any better. As a matter of fact, I just read an article in Teen Vogue. The title is The Foster Care to Prison Pipeline, 
what it is and how it works. It was written by Rachel Onspock on May 25th, 2018. That's just a few days ago. She talks about a young man named Randy from New York who entered the foster care system when he was 10. He moved through 13 placements and when he was 14, he got into a fight with another boy in his foster home. Instead of mediating and resolving the issue, they called 911 and he was arrested. Now, even though it was his first arrest and neither of the boys were seriously injured, Randy was incarcerated for 14 months, over a year in juvenile detention. And we hear about this all the time. Young kids who are acting out, sometimes as young as elementary school, um, the police are called, and so they are now funneled into the criminal justice system. The author says that according to the latest data, there are 437,500 kids in our foster care system in America, and they all face a disproportionate risk of being incarcerated. The problem is so bad that a quarter of foster care alumni will become involved in the criminal justice system within two years of leaving care. That means over 109,000 kids are at risk for going into the criminal justice system. The term foster care to prison pipeline is something that advocates use to describe all of the practices and policies that funnel these kids from the child welfare system into the criminal justice system. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but for now, let's get back to our interview. Oftentimes they would call me when she would get worked up and I would be the one that they called because they just didn't know what to do with her anymore. She laying hands. One day she took glass and chewed it and you know to to take herself up out of here whatever the case may be and she would tell me things like I got men putting their hands on me I got breasts that I'm being slammed on the ground so they might come in like a a football tackle on you and then do the uh chat hole on you or something but before you got to the chat hole how did you what did you do to get her down or whatever the case may be? Anything, any means necessary. That's what we did. They'll never tell you that. You know, not to say that she didn't do nothing to staff, but I think she might have got to a point where she knew, oh, they coming after me. So I'm going to catch me one good one, you know, because I know they finna come at me five at a time. So I'm just going to do what I got to do. I was so stunned by what she had shared that I wanted to make sure I had actually heard her correctly. This is everything her daughter experienced while under state care. The physical restraints of, you know, five or six staff members at a time. She would experience the verbal abuse uh, from the staff members or sometimes the staff members would let them go at it, you know, peer against peer. Our stuff would get taken, you know, we send things and uh, she either never got them or didn't get to leave with them. Her appearance wasn't what it needed to be. Um, You know, that's important to a teenager, whether you're in a facility or not. The education was bare minimal. She ran away from those facilities. The irony of it is, it's abuse at the highest level of abuse, you know. She had her teeth knocked out. She's had her breast slammed to the ground. She's had men accost her. They've allowed Peer to jump on her. 
But, you know, my home was so much worse. Guarantee you, nobody was, me and my son wasn't jumping on her. Oh, I'm sorry. The reality of what she was saying hit me like a ton of bricks. And to be honest, it wasn't one of my finest moments. Two things. Number one, thank you for sharing this. I know these stories. But can I say them? It never dawned on me. She was taken so the message that I was trying to convey was that this is the first time that it actually dawned on me how broken the system really is. Our job is to protect children who are abused and neglected. The reality is we don't have enough good foster parents and we also don't have enough good staff at some of the facilities that we've been using. I've known about it, I've heard stories about it, but this was the first time that I had a mother sit in front of me and actually tell me her story. In the past, I could maybe brush it off as an anecdote or an isolated incident, and even if it was, that didn't change the fact that this was someone's child, and the people that were supposed to be protecting her and looking after her were the people who were abusing her worse than anything her mother would have ever done. I, I want to say, I feel like I was very instrumental in one of these places being shut down where she told me the teeth and the slamming. I started putting in so many calls to so many people. I did a basic internet search on group homes and abuse in Oklahoma and was really surprised by some of the things I found. Last year, on April 2nd of 2017, Jacqueline Cosgrove and Brianna Bailey published an article about this subject. The title of their article is, Oklahoma DHS Group Homes Are Riddled with Assault, Crime, and Chaos, Officials Claim. The article noted that officials at the Oklahoma Department of Human Services had been aware of some of the allegations and they were investigating them. Now, sometimes facilities are closed down, and sometimes they're closed down only to be reopened under a different name or under different management. We talked a little bit about some of these problems. Once again, good group homes and facilities exist, and they are doing some amazing things to help our kids. We're not talking about those. We're talking about the places that are abusive the ones that know they have inappropriate staff members working with kids, but for whatever reason, they're allowed to continue. Those are also the staff members and the agencies that give a bad name to other social service providers. And by the way, I know that staffing problems exist and sometimes agencies are shorthanded, but if there's even a hint that these people are abusive, is it possible to, I don't know, just have them work on paperwork or something? Here's what some of them are doing instead. Keeping them doped up. And then when they say something, you're treating it as a dismissive situation because of their mental state. And then you guys are coming in here shuffling them for your checks, okay? And they don't mean a damn thing to you because my kid, you're not teaching culinary. You're not teaching what you do with yourself once you leave here. You're, you're barely giving education. By the time you place them back with me, because the last two years we was working on her transitioning back here because this is where she wanted to be. She wanted to be with her family. I got to take these years that you were lacking this and try to make it make sense once you get here. I need help with that. So now I need this entity in Oklahoma to get with this entity in California and let's interconnect and interact. And let this transition be a smooth one into 
whatever she may need into her adult life, but that didn't happen. It was it was sounding oh so damn lovely, and they put the words together so so beautifully where it just sounded like we got the best, we have the best education, and we were speaking clinically, and we could write it and make it look good, and that's all the hell you're doing because. You dropped the ball and you dropped the ball and both of y'all blaming each other and you want me to pick up the pieces. I don't even know what neither one of y'all are doing because you're not being all all 100% truthful ever. And then this one over here was like, well, we need to, if she go come over here, we need to do your background and we need to do your foreground and we need to do your, I'm like, do it. I don't got nothing to hide. Okay, well, we ran your fingerprints and we found this, this, and this, and this. Yep. Yep, that's, that's who I was. Yeah, I beat you down before I try to work it out. So, yeah, I got a few arrests, yeah. Uh, is that all you got? Is that going to stop me from getting my kids? Is that what it is? Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. Well, if it's not, then let's move on. Because you can't tell me nothing shocking about me. I did it. So, okay, have I complied with what you need? I gave you a fingerprint. You dug into my situation. I've answered every question about it. What's next, you know? Do we get her into a program? How, where where is she going to go? Who's going to be her? Do do I apply for a medical now? You know, how does that work? Do we have to wait till she get here? Before she gets here, it was like, well, this one didn't do this, and now the time frame has lapsed against that, and so now we can't help with that. And get get Oklahoma to send this and, 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 and do that and all this and all that, and basically you failed my kid yet again. But you've been her damn parent for the last seven years because you was all up in my mess because I couldn't be the parent who I was supposed to be. So as a parent, you need to make sure your child has what they need to have. And y'all haven't done that. And then you're looking at me like, oh, yeah. And so, you know, she came at 18 and they flew her out here. And then you get here and we help these kids, the foster kids, and yes, we got programs, and yes, we can, and all this and that. Else. Oh, but she's not from this state. She wasn't in the system in this state. No, she wasn't. Oh, we can't help with that. Well, wait a minute, but she's a foster kid. She fits the the, folk, the mold because it didn't happen in this state. Then she just, what? She just got her ass out. She's just out there by herself. She got a fan for herself. Yeah, that's what we're saying. So mom, figure it out. What she's describing has to do with funding. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, child welfare services involves a complicated web of funding streams that includes federal, state, and local money. The largest source comes from the federal government in the form of grants or reimbursement programs. And that's typically what foster care falls under. So while it's understandable that states would want to look out for kids in their own system, that's not always helpful for families who have had to relocate. But then you equip her with, you're 18. You don't have to have mom involved. You don't have to go to therapy. You don't have to take medicine. You don't have to do a damn thing no more. You tell a person who's bipolar, they don't have to take medicine no more. You tell a person who who their mother has been working for two years diligently to get her here and to be a part of her care, you don't have to involve mom anymore in none of this. You tell this mentally ill person they don't even have to go do therapy if they don't want to do it. It's their right because they're an adult now. 
So when you find yourself busting your ass to find this mental facility that'll finally take her so she can start fresh and new, only for that place to 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 tell her, equip her with you don't have to do A, B, and C and then I look up and I turn around and and we they telling me, Mom, you can wait out here. We'll be out and about. It takes us about an hour to intake you to take about two to two hours and we you we see you in a minute. She don't want you in here. And it's like what? You know what I mean? Like you wasn't the person on the phone doing all this counseling, doing all this conference calling, doing all this giving up your fingerprints, the whatever hoops that they said jump through. You weren't that that one, but in this instant, you could just come and take everything I just built myself up to and take it away because of your, because of your fucked up system. You don't tell my mentally ill child she don't have to take medicine no more. You don't tell my bipolar child that I don't have to be involved no more. shut my eyes and you laying over there that you'll still be there when I wake up or you not standing over my ass because you ain't had your medicine and now I got to deal with the aftermath of what that's like in my home here we are cutting you off cold turkey again from psychosis medications and now you're older so you know and bigger and stronger and you got people coming up in here you're being promiscuous you're not caring about yourself This is something that countless families struggle with. Once their mentally ill loved ones become legal adults, they have the right to refuse medication, therapy, and any services. They also have the right to privacy. And while most people believe that autonomy is important, the argument is, well, what happens when their mental illness prevents them from making rational or even safe choices? In most cases, there isn't much family members can do. In her case, she turns to her faith. And I was like, God, I'm going to just have to let you cover her. She in a shelter again. She's in somebody's garage. She's on somebody's floor. She's over. She done went and found her parent who... She shares that her daughter even reconnects with her abusive father. In previous episodes, we mentioned that this was someone who had committed a violent act against the family. So as a mom, she was understandably concerned. Ultimately, her daughter becomes pregnant. But for a while, it actually looked like things were turning around. She was, uh, you know, going to school. They got her babysitter through the 
their program. But one of the things they told her she was going to have to do is get on that medicine. And then that's where it all went, the pushback. So even for him, I ain't doing it. So what happens to a 21-year-old mother who refuses to take her psych meds? Well, eventually CPS steps in and the baby is detained. Typically, CPS tries to place children with members of the family, but in this case, the grandmother? Remember, she has a documented history of child abuse. CPS has to consider safety and risk, so placing with her is likely out of the question. There's also an attempt to place the baby with the great-grandmother. However, they were concerned about her age. You say you want to keep it with the family. She was the family that stepped up, and you tell her she too old. And then it was my daughter saying, we seem to love him too much. And how we go, how, how can people who were so fucked up towards her, because, you know, anytime we want, we want to chase you down so you get your medicine and we want to get you regulated, that's foul. I didn't want him around y'all because y'all this and that. And uh... Ultimately, her daughter gives up her parental rights and her grandchild is placed up for adoption. So many violations have happened in, uh, in my home, in my mom's home. You know, you've called the police over there. you tried to fight people over there. You, you've done brought men through here that I, I ain't even had men up in here. Not too many doors is open to you, okay? So, because you burnt them bridges, sorry. And yeah, it's a shame we don't want a young lady such as yourself running around these streets never would campaign for that. However, when we do get involved, we get right to that point and it could be a week or two, it could be a day or two, right? When you know, she be knowing too that it's about to go down and she'll do something crazy to self-sabotage the situation and start all over again. So I asked her, what advice would you give to parents? Or more specifically, if you could go back in time 10 years ago and give yourself advice, what would you say? Don't put your kids in the system. Fight to keep your kid in your household if you can. If you don't have a household for them, but you trust other family members, ask them to help to take your kid so that their kid doesn't get it put into that system. Because what I did was serve over my kid thinking that the kid needs help, which she did, but serve over my kid to the system and let her go where they she was then abused even way worse than anything I could have ever have done. Do what you can to get yourself together. If it's drugs, if it whatever it is that's got them involved, don't let your babies get into this system because it's impactful in mental ways and emotional ways and physical ways that are not for our children, that are very much against our children. And I don't care how they dress it up. I don't care what doctor they bring out that makes it sound okay or makes it sound clinical where it sounds like quote unquote treatment. It's a lie. They hurt our children in they do nothing with them and hurt them out, out of all the races, from Asian to white to black to Latino. 
our black children get taken out and all of our black children are the ones that get kept. You check your statistics. It's real. It exists. They return the other children or they don't come out of their homes at all. But ours, they lock them up and they're feeding it to us and making us believe that we're helping our kid. It's a lie. So every state is different, and in her case, child abuse charges led to a criminal conviction. I was curious about how that's impacted her life over the past 10 years. Here's what she had to say. I stay convicted. Every time I fill out an application and you pull up my background, you've sentenced me again. You've judged me again. You've took me through a walkthrough yet again. I can never let the past be the past because you won't allow me to let the past be the past. It doesn't matter that I grew and I learned from that thing and you don't want to hear about it. You just want to keep me with your foot on my neck. I have valuable things that I could share with a family or a mother but you won't even allow it because you say I'm not fit to be around your people and I was that person and so it's like okay well you know you say I'm not qualified but I'm gonna go get my qualifications and and I will help your people I might not help them through this system but I'm gonna be an advocate I'm still gonna be a voice So because of her background, she's not allowed to be an official advocate with a child welfare agency, but she hasn't let that stop her. What does she do? Well, she researches organizations, does community outreach on her own, and advocates for people who are in need of authentic services and support. I was curious, and I wanted to know how she felt about social workers in general. Here's what she had to say. I believe some care, some truly care, but the rules and the regulations that surround the entity provides their salary. And you're giving, you're giving these people 200 and 300 cases at a time. They don't even have a time. Your kid can never get the attention that they deserve. She recounts some of her struggles and then offers some advice to parents who may be going through a similar situation. Maybe you left them in the house because you needed to go to work and you didn't have a babysitter and you took a chance and you rolled the dice. I've had to drop my kid off at the daycare and go get him from the daycare before it closed, sit him on the bus with me till my shift in, and get written up five, six times for that very violation and told that if you do it one more time, you're going to lose your dog. You take a chance because if you don't, what happens to your baby, you know what I mean? I don't always got a family member to turn to. I don't always got a neighbor I could trust. Who I did trust, they violated my kid. And now I got to deal with that. But I just say, do not give up. Go on and go to the shelter with your baby. We have to stop the my business is my business stuff. We have to stop acting like we don't see something. You see them kids. You looking at them and they stuff ain't looking presentable. You see what's going on. Are they too hungry? Or you see that such and such really be, she get on her grind, she get on the bus, she don't make no excuses. She she get the kids where they gotta go. She need help too. You know what I mean? She she need help too. I think we should ask more questions, be more involved. Just don't be afraid, even if you get cursed out, you know what I mean? At least you stuck your nose in, you know? Maybe the third time you don't get cursed out. Maybe the third time they might want to know why you want to know. 
If you're telling me you're going to be a resource to my kid, I want to make sure. Are you being a true resource? Do you are you are you just recommending and then you're dropping a ball? Are you seeing the thing through? Did you see it? If you did, you follow up. I don't want false hope. I want real help. To change lives, we have to change our relationships. Thank you for listening to Formally Fostered. You can subscribe to us by going to Apple Podcasts or follow us on SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a comment or email us at info at So until next time, have a good one.